Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Help for HD Live. Help for HD Live is brought to you by Help for HD International and is made possible by our sponsors, Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Katie, and today I have Dr. LaVon Goodman with us. I don't think I need to introduce LaVon because everyone in our community knows LaVon and uh, loves what she's done for our community as far as bringing new programs. This is really amazing what LaVon is going to talk to us about today because as a community, we are always talking about psychiatric symptoms and Huntington's disease. We just got off of Des Moines, Iowa, our symposium, our annual symposium, and we did a breakout room, and I should have known. We did it in the small room, and it was about psychiatric symptoms and management of Huntington's by a uh, pharmacist at the University of Iowa, and the room was packed. People were standing up, and I should have put it in the main room because our community, whenever we put something about psychiatric symptoms, always shows up, and they want to hear, and they want to learn. there's a new, a new thing that has just come out. I'm going to let LaVon talk about it. She is the expert, but there are guidelines in managing psychiatric symptoms in Huntington's disease, and it is very important to have guidelines, and we've learned that with physicians, guides, and everything. So I'm really excited for LaVon to talk to us today about uh, the introduction, and we're going to talk about the introduction of management of neuropsychiatric symptoms in Huntington's disease, and hopefully today we'll get into a couple symptoms. But for right now, let's just start with the introduction. Welcome to the show, Levant. Hi, thank you. I'm glad to be here and uh, talk about this. Uh, Guidelines are important, Katie alluded to this, because doctors use guidelines, particularly if they are treating a patient, seeing a patient, that they don't know very much about the the problems that they're having. Then going and looking this up in a a peer-reviewed article situation is what doctors do. Find guidelines and see how they can help you learn more about the disease and then to interact with the patient. Um, Are these guidelines meant for your HD expert at your center of excellence? Uh, Probably not. But these also are the neuropsychiatric symptoms. Most of our neurologists, most are neurologists who treat individuals with Huntington's in, in the United States, so who are not trained as well in psychiatry as psychiatrists. The um, guidelines, they're not Levon's guidelines. These are guidelines that are made uh, by, were made by experts. Uh, in expert psychiatrists from Europe, from uh, North America, in the hunting, from, drawn from the hunting, there's a psychiatric group called the Behavioral Working Group uh, at 
HSG, the Huntington Study Group, and at EHDN, the European equivalent, and they get together a couple times a year and discuss psychiatric things. And one of the projects that I, that I got to be involved in is trying to come up with guidelines, guidelines that you could trust, guidelines that were developed uh, in a very systematic way as guidelines in other diseases are developed. Um, and one, I think before I get into that, I think it's important to talk about what treatable means. Um, now, many diseases we can treat, like diabetes, but we don't cure it. We manage the complications of it, but we don't cure it. With Huntington's, I think of psychiatric symptoms as complications of the disease. And we manage those complications. Uh, that makes it sound more like it's a problem related to Huntington's, and it's not just a symptom if people aren't just being stubborn. But this is, these are things, complications, do psychiatric complications due to the disease. Um, we're not, it's not a cure. It's not slowing down the disease, although there, one could make an argument for some of these things as being very helpful and maybe slowing it down a little bit. Not the cure. Uh, no question about that. It, it's not exciting, as exciting as talking about the new clinical trials coming. Uh, that's the yin and the yang of uh, what's going on in Huffington's today, the fantastic hope and excitement. But there's also the, very much the need for improving care in Huntington's for those individuals who, and families who need relief from these burdensome complications of Huntington's. I, was, uh, I, I read something called Medscape, which is an online, uh, it gets blasted out to physicians uh, and via the web, and, it, you know, they talk about diabetes, they talk about whatever, uh, and after the IONIS trial, the IONIS Roach trial was uh, featured at the American Academy of Neurology meetings this year, the uh, uh, prominent uh, neurologist from Mass General Hospital in Boston, who actually was the expert, one of the experts who chose to have this exciting, those exciting results presented, was interviewed by Medscape after that presentation. And during the presentation, she called uh, Huntington's one of those neurologic diseases that are in the diagnose and adios category, which means you make the diagnosis and then you say goodbye because there's nothing else you can do as a doctor. Uh, well, you know, and she went on to say, that depression in Huntington's was untreatable. Hmm. Hmm. And this got blasted out on Medscape. Uh, and that's where I read it. And probably uh, a few thousand other uh, doctors read it. Uh, sure. I hope it was only a few thousand. It's, you know, the, the, uh, the mm -hmm. untreatable part uh, Yes, it's not curable, but the complications of the disease are treatable. Uh, treatable doesn't mean you make it all go away. 
if a person's depressed and you treat depression, you know, it doesn't all go away. Uh, you're, there's still, it, it takes, makes it more manageable, makes it less burdensome uh, mm-hmm. for, for most people. Does it help? Do treatments for depression help everyone? No, they don't. But we still call it treatable because it, it helps a lot of people uh, with that complication. So in that sense, Huntington's is treatable. And having these symptom complications treated are very important while we wait for that uh, uh, elusive better treatment to slow down the disease. Yeah. Uh, until then, you know, it'd be, it'll be lovely when we don't need these guidelines, when we don't need to treat these symptoms or complications of Huntington's because they're not going to be there. Won't that be great? But until then, uh, we need to focus on what is treatable in our individuals who, and families who are dealing with this. Uh, Katie, tell me, do people call in and ask questions uh, during the presentation I could open it up I could open up the chat room if you would like me to yeah well if if people uh, have questions at any time um, I I don't mind being interrupted Uh, if it's if it's something I can't answer I'll say well I can't answer that and I'll talk to you later Um, we can do that too Um, the um, other aspect is um, how how this was created these psychiatrists got in a room and they came up with statements or, you know, uh, about what they think it's important for a doctor to know about treating this complication. Say it's anxiety or it's agitation. Uh, What do these psychiatrists think that your doctor should know? And that's how it starts out. And so after you have the, and there's there's a lot of haggling that went on in those meetings, back and forth. Uh, subsequent, after that, we, we sent out a survey to uh, every site that is involved in Enroll HD and served, mm-hmm. surveyed that the person, uh, the physician leader there uh, and, and tried to get their opinion. Do you agree with this statement or do you disagree? And we only accepted for the guidelines those statements uh, that 85%, that's a big number, 85% of the experts agreed on. You're never going to get 100%. And 85% is a high percentage for guideline development. So this was done very well, the study. Uh, the how we came up with these was done very, very well. Uh, and you can read, it, read a little bit more about it as, as I described it in the article on HDDW. One of the things we did is to, to make it not so, trying to make it a little more concise, uh, we had general recommendations that would apply to any of the symptoms that we're going to accept from complications that we're going to be talking about. Uh, and there was one thing I actually should go into that I skipped over here, I see. Guidelines are important, but they're not used rigidly. Every patient, every person is unique, and 
guidelines are what we usually doctors usually should do. Uh, but and then one the person in your office may be or you may be someone who doesn't quite fit there, doesn't quite fit that guideline. Then of course you don't use the guideline. You 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 treat the uniqueness that's in this patient. Uh, so they're not to be used rigidly. They're a tool to help a doctor think about it and options for treatment. Uh, they're not to be used rigidly. You know, the doctor has to do this is, is not what it is. It's not what guidelines are about. Uh, so we don't, don't they're, they're important, but they're not the end all. It's, it's really physician judgment and regarding the uniqueness of each person. Uh, that they're seeing in the office. Um, I think I've gone through this. Okay, now I'm, now I'm on, on course here. Uh, the general management is each when you go into when you go in to see your doctor with a with a complaint. You know, I'm depressed, or or my person, my my loved one is depressed. We think we think this person is depressed. Uh, you go in with one symptom, but you need to also think about before you get there what else is going on too in the, in, that might go along with the depression. And we'll talk about that as we go, go along. Uh, one symptom doesn't usually happen in isolation. Our families know this. Our, our individuals with Huntington's know this. It's not just depression. There's often anxiety or other things that go along with it. It's more than one thing. Uh, and so the doctor needs to ask about that, about other symptoms. So once you get there, be ready to answer those questions or bring it up if the doctor doesn't ask about it. Um, the doctor should get information not just from the person with Huntington's but from the carer because we know that there can be lack of awareness in individuals about the severity or the presence of their symptom. So always that doctor needs to be looking at the carer also, and, and the carer needs to pipe up uh, so the adequate treatment can be provided. Um, the doctor should ask about other things, uh, other medical illnesses that might be impacting that, uh, that person. You know, if the person has a urinary tract infection, well, you have a reason for agitation there that's not at Huntington's. So there, that kind of information uh, needs to be gotten too. And, of course, find out what's happening in that person's uh, life situation. Did they just lose their job? Um, did they lose a family member to Huntington's? What else is going on in their life? Uh, these are things that the doctor should be asking about whenever you see the doctor about a psychiatric or a mood complication of Huntington's. Um, the doctor also, if you come in with depression, then, then the doctor needs to provide some information or education in general about depression, what it is, uh, and how it presents in Huntington's. Um, how it's treated, how you might manage that symptom. 
They also should gather some information about triggers, things that might cause or exacerbate a certain symptom. You know, what set it off? You know, what's happening? What are the clues that this might be happening? What happens and then it builds up? Uh, Go back and get that information because that will be very important when it comes to managing the symptom, right? Um, Right. And then in general, when it comes to drug recommendations or pharmacologic recommendations, know that the drug choice will be very much influenced by two things, by other symptoms. So a first choice for treating depression uh, might not be the same thing if that person also has very severe um, um, perseverative or obsessive-compulsive symptoms. So it depends Mm. on what else is going on, what might be your first choice or the best choice drug for that person. And also it's very important to that the drug choice, the stage of disease is very important. Something that is, is, uh, can be used uh, for chorea early in disease, uh, uh, probably there's many instances where it shouldn't be used in late disease. Uh, so treatments will depend really much, very much on other symptoms that are there that may be more severe and uh, on stage of disease. One of the things that we, and, I'll, and stage of disease, uh, I'll give you a for instance, too. Uh, benzodiazepines, things like um, uh, Ativan, uh, Xanax, Valium, those kinds of drugs are frowned upon. They're, they're not recommended. Uh, need Other drugs should be chosen, if possible, uh, in those people who have a greater chance of falling. So if you have a person who is bedridden or can't walk, then can this drug be used more safely? Yes, because there isn't a risk of falling. So using it in very late disease uh, is fine uh, if it's needed. Uh, One needs to use more caution. The doctor needs to use more caution in using these drugs in individuals who are at greater risk of falling. So there are things that the doctor... Yep. I don't mean I don't mean to break in. I'm sorry. I just had I have two messages. I just want people to know that she's going to get into the symptoms. Um, they're asking about anxiety, so she's going to go through guidelines. They're asking about guideline anxiety, so she's going to walk through. We're going to get through a couple symptoms today, and this is a three-part series. So if we don't get to it, we're going to get to it. Um, but I dare so they're if you, asking about if you, anxiety. If, good. Okay. Uh, the okay. Um, So I'm going to get to each individual symptom. But these are the general things. Let's say you go in and you ask your doctor, yeah. you know, my, my person is anxious. Uh, what are the other things? Don't, don't be have on blinders and just look at the anxiety. The doctor shouldn't do that, and neither should the carer or the patient. There, are other, there may be other things going on. Um, what I'm talking about so far is that uh, I think these guidelines can be trusted. They're not evidence-based because we don't have them. 
we don't have the evidence. Uh, and then I'm going to get into their eight different symptoms. If you go to the, the website on hddrugworks.org, you will find that we will that there are various symptoms that I'll be discussing, uh, including. Um, I was going to discuss today uh, agitation and irritability. I don't mind if there are more questions about anxiety, doing that one first. Um, there were questions, is that correct? There were questions about anxiety? Yeah, they're, they're asked, yeah one question is what they would like to know the guidelines on anxiety. They're, they're, their loved one is living with anxiety. Um, so. Okay. I don't know if that's... I can go there. Yeah. I don't mind doing that, Okay. Uh, responding to okay. what, what needs are. Uh, there is a, if you go to the website, you will find the, the clinical practice guidelines for anxiety right there. Uh, and each of the symptoms, including agitation, apathy, psychosis, sleep, irritability, and obsessive compulsive behaviors. So each one is split off. Uh, do they go together? Yes, the guidelines will, will reflect that. Uh, anxiety can occur in any stage of uh, Huntington's. It can occur certainly before motor onset. Um, it tends not to increase or, or be related to stage of disease. This is a symptom that is not related to stage of disease. It can be uh, uh, at any stage or before motor, motor onset. Uh, the experts agree that it's a very treatable complication of Huntington's. Uh, anxiety in HD kind of looks like anxiety in the general population. So your regular doctor should be able to address anxiety uh, and work towards treatments. Uh, the recommendations for the treatment of anxiety are really the same, pretty much the same as in the general population. It's not, it's not rocket science uh, for your doctor. Uh, anxiety and depression often happen together. Uh, not always, but often. Uh, Drugs that are commonly used to treat anxiety, though, also treat depression and obsessive-compulsive behaviors. So you get uh, a good stab at uh, uh, getting three birds with one stone. I'm mixing my analogies there, I'm sorry. Uh, but drugs... Can, a drug can, can, can really treat all three of those symptoms. Uh, mm -hmm. Depression goes along with anxiety. So does obsessive compulsive behaviors. It's hard to, it can mm -hmm. sometimes be very hard to separate those out. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. The uh, anxiety can look like restlessness and will worsen chorea. Um, anxiety can be caused by external factors too. Emotional ones or internal ones, external ones, things that are happening outside outside of you. Is there a lot of noise? Is there overstimulation? Uh, more than you can take. Uh, so 
those are the things, if those are happening, that, that should be identified. Uh, the guidelines for anxiety um, are to first, as I mentioned in the general one, uh, recommendations is to look at other symptoms too, what else, and both internal to that person and external things, and try to modify those things. Uh, are things too noisy? Uh, is, is the job too much? Is it too stressful? Uh, what else is happening in their life? Um, are they in pain? Are they hungry? Uh, any unmet need can cause anxiety. Uh, psych, uh, in terms of treatment, uh, the behavior recommendation is that, well, psychological behavioral therapy can be offered if, if that you are so lucky to have such people in your uh, community. And, but often... Uh, such folks are not available or the person may not want to do this. It's not helpful. Behavioral therapy is, is thought to be helpful only in early disease when there can be an understanding of the anxiety. It's more helpful then. Oh, that's so interesting. It's not, okay. it's, not used in, it's not used in later onset disease. In terms okay. of drugs, was, is there a question? Yeah, no, they, are they are, yeah, can you hear me, LaVon? Yeah, yeah, no, yes, I'm watching, I'm watching it, there's, yeah, no, I think we're, we're good for right now. We're good, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, the first choice drug is an SSRI, like sertraline mm-hmm. or Zoloft, Citalopram mm-hmm. or Celexa, a drug kind of like that, whether it occurs as a single symptom, uh, with, or with depression, obsessive compulsive behaviors, because this type of drug treats all three. We always choose a drug it, for a symptom. If we have a, have a different have drug choices, we want to choose the drug that has the least side effects. Now, while anxiety can be treated by an antipsychotic, it has more side effects that we don't want than does an SSRI antidepressant. We call them antidepressants, but they're anti-anxiety. We just as well call them anti-anxiety agents. We always, that's the first choice drug if there aren't other things going on that require an antipsychotic. Warning should be given uh, that, and I have seen this happen uh, with a couple of my patients, that anxiety may briefly worsen after starting an SSRI. So you need to, the last thing you want is to make something more anxious, someone more anxious. So you start, the doctor should start with a low dose when a person is anxious, and that person should be aware that it might make you a little more anxious briefly. And when I say briefly, a few days or a week. Uh, and if there is worsening of anxiety, then uh, experts think that adding a benzodiazepam, you know, like Xanax or lorazepam, Ativan, short term may be helpful until the SSRI kicks in to treat the anxiety. Uh, yeah. It's always an error to or for the person, you know, you don't want to be more anxious, but if you know it might happen, you'll be less scared. Um, 
And you can, there are things that can be taken to get you over that bump so the medication can help you longer term. So don't give up. Uh, don't stop it. But let your doctor know that it may be causing, uh, that, that there's a little bit of a worsening of anxiety. And it's and the that, first that's, SSRI. That's they just asked, um, they just said, it, is it common for like an anti-anxiety, and I'm trying to think about how to word this, is it common like for an anti-anxiety to work and then stop working after a while? So they saw benefit in their loved one, uh, but then they saw the anxiety come back after a while. So is that common, they're asking for, and well, would that be something you know, that you go back to your that doctor? That happens. And, yes, mm-hmm. you do. It's... Um, is the drug failing or is there something else going on? Is the person not sleeping mm-hmm. as well? Uh, was something else added? Is something more happening in that person's life causing greater anxiety? So there are, uh, is that person having more obsessive compulsive? Uh, so there are, uh, it's not so much, you, you don't just stop an, uh, an anti-anxiety agent. Uh, you let your doctor know that the person is still, your person is still very anxious or it's come back uh, and what should I do? Uh, uh, I need to see you. Uh, it's not that it stops working. Uh, and what a doctor might do then, what I, what I would do is, what are in the recommendations here, is I would either increase the dose of that SSRI or I would change to another. And that is in the recommendations, too, if you're following me along. You first use an SSRI like Zoloft or Celexa, and you be sure that it doesn't cause more anxiety in the beginning, and then if it doesn't work or doesn't work well enough or gives you too many side effects, then the, what you do next is you, you try a different SSRI drug or an NSRI like Effexor. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. A drug like clomipramine, I'm going to throw that name out there, uh, or anaphronil may be used in certain situations. And I'll get into those later. That's not a first choice drug for anxiety, nor is an, nor is a, uh, an antipsychotic. However, all of these things, uh, there, there are various drugs that are good alternative treatments or add-on treatments for anxiety if other symptoms are present, like not being able to go to sleep at night um, or, or it's taking a long time, then mirtazapine or Rimuran is an alternative treatment for anxiety, particularly if there are sleep problems. And mirtazapine can be added to an SSRI. Now, an, anti, uh, an antipsychotic is an alternative, too. If it's already needed for treatment of chorea or more severe psychiatric symptoms. So when we say don't run to an antipsychotic first, well, we may, it may need to be used if there are other things going on. Sure. Um, on to this clomipramine drug is one that psychiatrists use more often than neurologists for treatment of more severe uh, obsessive-compulsive or perseverative behaviors, and it also is a treatment for anxiety. So if there is, and, and 
perseverative behaviors cause anxiety. If, uh, if one can't keep doing what they're, uh, is they're obsessive about, there becomes anxiety. There's anxiety too. Sometimes it's hard to separate out the two. Mm-hmm. Um, it often, it, if anxiety is severe, then it's often, uh, it's not just one drug that may be used, but more than one. Um, so there will be alternatives. If, if When you say a drug stops working, either something else is going on, external or internal to that person, or some other symptom is becoming more uh, severe, uh, or um, maybe another drug was added and the metabolism of the, uh, the drug was affected. So there are a number of things that... Uh, a doctor should address. If it stops working, something else is probably going on. Is my my best bet. I, I hope that and answers Dr. the Givens, question. Yeah, yeah. I, do you ever find like I'm just kind of curious. This is me throwing this into. Do you ever find there's like a plus, not a placebo effect, but like if someone thinks they're on a new medication that they think they feel better, and then they, or is that really not the case with the psychiatric symptoms? as much no it's very very much the case of psychiatric symptoms uh and it's not uh i would argue that it's not just a placebo effect when you go to see your doctor if that or or your other provider uh, and you're anxious and the doctor's concerned uh, the doctor is caring of you listens to you gives you emotional support you know, helps you understand the anxiety. Um, that's that's a therapy too. So it's sure. not just yeah. placebo. You know, getting a drug across the counter. It is in, uh, it is also the therapeutic effect of the intervention, the therapeutic intervention with the provider. And if mm-hmm. you yeah. and that helps. Somebody cares uh, enough to sure. talk to me, and somebody's helping me. And that is yeah. the an interaction effect. There is a, there was a study done in depression where a drug was people who were depressed went into this trial and some got an antidepressant, uh, some got a placebo, some uh, got a placebo but knew they were getting a placebo, and they got better too because of the therapeutic intervention probably and that's uh, that that probably happens in our Huntington's disease uh, clinical trials too because when you're in a clinical trial um, you are seen by medical providers much more frequently than you would be otherwise in most in most cases uh, there is there is very close follow-up uh, care given, you're seen every month or every few months, uh, and that's more frequent interval than most people with Huntington's are seen by their doctors. So there sure. is an interaction yeah. effect, probably in addition to the placebo effect. Uh, and there, there, one of our clinical trials done in Europe uh, had suggested that, uh, that that happens. Yeah, that's part of it. You know, if you're getting better, it doesn't make any difference uh, whether it's uh, – uh, uh, well, it does make a difference, but if we could bottle a placebo or an interaction effect, wouldn't that be great? 
Um, yes, yes. So I'm not downplaying that. Interaction effect is very important. Somebody cares. Somebody wants to do something about this. Um, yeah. And that's, that's an important thing. Um, one of the things you can do with, uh, oh, I want to point out that I, in, on HDDW, I, I give the link to the journal publication. If you go to PubMed, and you look for this article, then you'll, and the link gets you to Pub, the PubMed article. And you'll get an abstract, but if you click on the right upper corner, then you can get the whole article for free. You can look at the whole article for free. And you can print it off. Fantastic. You can take it to your doctor if that, that person is not expert in, in Huntington's. You can take what I've written on HDDW, but I have, I have, taken what's in that journal article, tried to make it, uh, make the language a uh, little easier to understand. Uh, I may not have succeeded very well, but so it's not the same, you won't read the same thing, but it will be very similar. Yeah, um, no, it, it, it's excellent. I've, I've read these um, on HE Drug Works, and I, it's so nice to be able to be able to read an article, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push all these links out to our listeners so you guys can see. I know I just pushed out the introduction of management of neuropsychiatric um, symptoms in Huntington's, but I'm also going to push out today and put on the show page the anxiety because we covered it so you guys can read that article. But, no, I, I think it's really – it's so understandable, and it's short. So, you know, we, we get lost in these science journals and everything we don't understand. This is something that I related to and I understood, which was – Nice Anxiety a is a serious, serious symptom. When I said it wasn't rocket science, what I meant is that for your general physician, the general physician usually knows how to treat anxiety. Uh, the general physician may under-treat it. On average, we're, we're conservative. I'm a generalist, so we tend to be a little more conservative than the psychiatrist. And what I mean by that, we, we don't use dosages quite as high as they do. And sometimes we don't get to an adequate dosage. Uh, that's something that uh, a carer or the individual who's ang- anxious about can ask about. Can I? Would a bigger dose be helpful? Um, uh, or would changing the drug, if you reach the maximum dose and it's not effective enough, then changing to another drug, or sometimes adding a second drug to the first. Will, will be useful, and that's in uh, that's in the general treatment guidelines for anxiety when it occurs in the everybody else who doesn't have Huntington's. Um, it's, is it a severe symptom? Yes, uh, it can limit functioning, uh, deserves treatment, and it usually it's a very treatable symptom for most people. Now, part of anxiety in individuals with Huntington's is also the anxiety about the disease. You know, uh, of course, you're anxious about sure. losing your job. Uh, you're anxious yeah. about falling. Yeah. You're not going to be understood yeah. because your speech isn't as good. You're choking. Now, those those things, then you don't just treat the anxiety. You try to help with those other things, and this is why you ask about other symptoms. If there are problems with swallowing, 
then there's some things that can be done to help address that. Seeing someone, depending on your stage, uh, seeing someone who can give some better in, or give some instruction about the kinds of foods and situations that will lessen uh, chances of choking. So there, there yeah, are, you know, and go ahead. No, it's just like I just had this like light bulb moment because I never thought about that, right? We always think about just treating the anxiety, but if there's a way to help what's causing the anxiety in some cases, I, I, it was just like a light bulb moment for me because I, I never heard that until you said that. Um, well, it's, it, it makes if, sense. You, if you are having trouble swallowing, it is a very scary thing to choke. So then you're sure. anxious. When you eat the next time, which interferes more with your swallowing the next time, so yeah. addressing the swallowing will not make the anxiety go away, but it will help with the anxiety. Uh, doing things that can lessen the chance of there ha- your, a person having a fall if they're falling. You know what can you do to help whatever is making that whatever situation it is, whether it's internal to the disease or whether it's something external then try to address those things just trying to just just hitting somebody with a drug uh is is not the the way to go Uh, drugs are helpful but it's very important to address the reasons that you can be a detective and try to figure out why is this happening and then you may be able to change something that makes it better. Be a detective. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's so funny, Dr. Goodman, whenever we have you on, we, we get these questions that I normally don't get. And and I, we're not actually going to get in. We have, we're going to do a series. I know everyone wants to talk about all of these right now. And, and Dr. Goodman, we only have um, an hour show and we're coming on 45 minutes. So I know that people love, they, they're asking, and this is something when we get into these um, symptoms, a doctor, uh, uh, Dr. Goodman can address this. They, they wanted to know how do you tell the difference between apathy and depression? So obviously people have a lot of these questions okay. that they're there not is, getting answered that will by be, their physicians. That will be on another, another show. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't have time to do the know. whole apathy. I can, if I have time, just yep. to answer that one question, I will. But yeah, let's do that one question because they they ask specifically. So I think okay. that's important. Well, sometimes you can't. Okay, mm-hmm. sometimes you can't. Uh, apathy is when you lose interest in things. You're not motivated. Uh, And often you can tell it from depression. Depression has sadness associated with it. Sadness. uh, uh, And apathy by itself is not sad. And the the scientists use other terms uh, for this, but if there is, uh, there's lack of motivation, of course, in depression. You don't want to do things. You're depressed. You want to go to bed. Uh, but you're also sad. In apathy, there's not sadness. Uh, it's hard to tell apart. Um, there are other medical ways to perhaps tell it apart, but you know the experts have trouble with this too. So your, your question, ever who asked that question, it's a very wise one. But we will I'll yeah. go more into apathy at a later point. 
Yeah. I hope I've okay. answered. I hope I've addressed questions that people have had have about the anxiety one. Yes, absolutely. And you know what I'm going to do, uh, if it's okay with you, Dr. Goodman, I'm, when the show's out, because the show will be out for a while before we do our next series, um, I'm going to see if people have questions that maybe we can address maybe when we open the next show, um, people that have listened. Sure. I know a lot of people will also listen in the archives. Um, if they want to submit questions to me, when we open our next show with Dr. Goodman, I will ask those questions for you guys, and we can address those questions before we get into the next um, symptoms within the guidelines. Is that okay? That's great. Yes. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Well, I think we um, – is there any, any final thoughts or anything we should touch on before we uh, wrap up the show, Dr. Goodman? I think it's important uh, to impress upon people that except for apathy – Um, there are good treatments for these symptoms, not perfect ones. Uh, They all have side effects, these drugs. Uh, Some some you have more side effects than benefits sometimes. Um, But most of these symptoms for a long time are very treatable. Don't let your doctor say they aren't. Uh, Don't stop going to your doctor because the first drug didn't work or didn't work well enough. Don't be, uh, uh, sometimes feel, well, our doctor doesn't think this is treatable. Well, you know, it, it is. Uh, the experts uh, believe it is. Uh, and, and that's why I think guidelines are important to have those. If they're not out there and a, and a generalist cannot find anything about guidelines for treating individuals with Huntington's, they think they're untreatable. So, and that's, and that's, that is a very sad, uh, very bad <laughs> Um, frustrating yeah. for everybody, yeah. for sure. Well, and I'm just so I'm just so glad that you, that these guidelines have been created because I remember when Mike was first diagnosed, my husband. They just said, you know, I w- our first neurologist we went to, he wasn't an expert in movement disorder, Huntington's, anything, and he said, you know, you have Huntington's, just go home. I don't know what to do. I, I, there's nothing I can do for you. And and then I remember and that you know, going the to an expert. Diagnose and yeah. <laughs> the diagnose and adios. You know, and if you don't, yeah. if, if you don't then get to the next doctor or learn about it or advocate for yourself, see, one of the things yeah. about the guidelines is I think it helps families to advocate with their doctor. Not everybody is taken mm-hmm. care of at a center of excellence. Mm-hmm. So it helps mm-hmm. that That's family right. be able to advocate for themselves. It's, it's is empowering is the word. You can go and say, hey, yeah. this symptom is treatable. The experts believe it is. And here's how you do it. Yeah. So guidelines yeah. being used in that way, uh, they're not perfect. Uh, nothing is. Um, and they don't apply to every person. Every person is different. One, I, I know in my practice with, with my practice when I take care of Huntington's individuals, uh, a drug that works in one person doesn't work in the other, doesn't help yeah. in the other. So each individual is different, um, but that doesn't mean you stop trying after the first one is not helpful. Right. Doctors should not stop trying, and, 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 and the individuals, Huntington's, and the family shouldn't allow that, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Well, 
you guys go check out HD Drug Works. Um, it's such a it's a great resource. I mean, you go on there and you can read. There's so much covered on um, HD Drug Works. But the, right now we're talking about uh, the psychiatric guidelines. Um, but you can actually go in there and find some pretty uh, amazing articles uh, throughout the whole entire uh, website and things that you, I'm sure you'll find incredibly beneficial. I know I have used HD Drug Works as a resource for many years. Um, the website is just HD drugworks.org. That's H-D-D-R-U-G-W-O-R-K-S.org. Um, so why don't you guys go in there and check out those articles, and then we will continue to discuss and do this series. Um, it was too much for us to cover in one-hour show, so uh, thank goodness Dr. Goodman agreed to come on and continue this, because um, I know all of these symptoms are very important, and we continue to hear them over and over in our community um, and the challenges that their people are facing with their doctors helping them with these these uh, tri- with these symptoms, so um, thank you so much, Dr. Goodman, for coming on uh, today with us, and and I look forward to continuing this conversation. And once again, everyone, submit your questions to me. Um, you could do it via email, Katie K A T I E at uh, K A T I E at helpforhd.org, or you could su- submit them in Messenger, um, or you can submit them through Blog Talk, where I've gotten the. Uh, the comments today. So you guys can submit them in any of those any of those three avenues, and I will make sure that I write them down, and I will get them to Dr. Goodman, and we'll discuss them on the next show. Thank you, Dr. Goodman, so much for taking the time uh, to come with us today. And thank you, until thank next you Katie. Week, thank you, and until next week, everyone have a safe week.